first Sunday of the new year, 2018. Amen. Could I ask you to stand one more time? I know you just got to sit down, but we'll hurt most of us to do a little up and downs. And let me just ask, would you just turn and greet the person behind you and say, I'm glad you're here today. We welcome you, <laughs> except for that back row. <clears throat> <clears throat> and we are happy to see each of you. <laughs> It's good to have you today. Praise God. Praise God. All right. And you can be seated. Hopefully everybody got greeted. All right. That's enough happiness. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I've been pondering what to begin, what to do on this first Sunday of the new year. And I've, I think I have uh, decided that we're going to do some messages from the book of Acts. I don't say we'll go through the whole book. It's, it's a long book. But if you'll turn to Acts chapter 1, let's begin with uh, chapter 1. And... Chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll make some comments as we read. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. Let's pause there and say, what is this first book? Well, most would say it is the Gospel of Luke. That the Gospel of Luke was his first book and the book of Acts was volume two. Luke the sequel is what we would call the book of Acts. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 3, Luke writes, It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's in Luke 1, 3. So he's addressing, in Luke 1, a man named Theophilus. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. So we take the Gospel of Luke as from Luke, and the book of Acts is from Luke, volume 2. This Theophilus, Theo, is God. That's the Greek word for God. And Philo, or uh, Philae, is the Greek word for love, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. So Theophilus is those who love God. It may not be a specific person. It could just be uh, to those who love God. 
And I believe that's who many of us are today. We love God. We have our failures and sins and such, but at the core of it, we want to know His will. So it's addressed to those who, I believe, love the Lord and have, and it's, it's the part where Jesus continues to do and teach things. Now let's continue to read verse 2. Until the day when He was taken up, He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. And He presented Himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Uh, you, you remember some of the ways he proved himself. He went, he walked through a door, but he could eat food. And he said to Thomas, the doubting disciple in John, said, you know, look at my hands, look at the scars, look at the place in my side where the spear was put. He, he, this went on for... It says here for 40 days, verse 3, and he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. For 40 days he spoke of the kingdom of God. That means it's a very important topic to him. Now drop down in verse 6. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I might just point out here, <clears throat> the, these verbs are uh, what, what we call participles, I-N-G verbs. When they were coming together, they were asking. That is... That seemed to be, every time they would meet, they would bring up the kingdom. And so for 40 days, Jesus was teaching in answering their questions about the kingdom. In other words, verse 6 explains verse 3. Verse 3 says, he, for 40 days he talked about the kingdom. Why? Because in verse 6, they were constantly asking every time they were coming together about the kingdom of, of God and the restoration to Israel. As, as Jewish men, that was their number one issue. So we would say the kingdom was his main topic because the kingdom was their main question. And you, you can understand why, because the Jews had a view of the kingdom that was very geographical. In other words, it was within the boundaries of, of the land of Israel. It, was, uh, it would be considered nationalistic, patriotic, um, even racist because they held that the Jews when the Messiah would come the Jews would be elevated to the top of the heap and uh, all nations would be subservient to them and that Messiah would uh, judge all these Gentile nations 
based on how they offended Israel. And, and uh, they would be a restored temple sacrifice rituals and the old covenant Judaism and the law of Moses would be the rule of the world. So the Messiah comes and he gets crucified. What happened to the kingdom? The Davidic and Solomon kingdom where the Jews were at the center of everything and people came from all over the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Surely the Messiah is going to be greater than Solomon. But, well, So it must be in the future you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Is this the time now? So he's answering. You almost get the sense that there was a badgering brooded in their perplexity and confusion. They could not handle the truth. Listen to Luke 18, 31. Jesus says to his disciples, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated. He will be spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise. And verse 34 says, and they understood none of that. Now, I would just ask you, what's hard about understanding that? We're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to be delivered to Gentiles. They're going to whip me, spit on me, and kill me. And then the third day, I will rise. I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, they didn't want to understand that. That's not the kind of Messiah they envisioned. You know, and that's one of the things about the Bible is that uh, we, we tend to get what we want to get. Rather than just letting Scripture speak. But... The restoration of the Jewish kingdom was every Jew's heart cry. Like Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19 and Sennacherib came and attacked Jerusalem. But an angel defended Jerusalem and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died one night. Or Moses goes into Egypt and redeems, that's the word used, the people of Israel. And they march out on dry land in the Red Sea. And the entire Egyptian army is drowned. Ah, that's the kind of deliverance we're looking for. But Jesus said in Luke 17, 20, when asked by the Pharisees the same question. Luke 17, 20. When would the kingdom come? And here's what Jesus said. The kingdom is not going to come with signs that you can observe or people will say, okay, that's it right there. Nor will they be able to say, the, king, the kingdom is here or there. 
But rather, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's within you. The kingdom is not a visible, geographically confined area. It is when by the Holy Spirit, Jesus rules your heart and your life. And you get several of those people together, there's the kingdom. That's why in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus calls the church the kingdom. It's people who have yielded their heart and life to a king, Jesus. In John 18, 36, Pilate said, Are you a king? And he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. In other words, uh, we'd, we'd take a, if, if our, my kingdom was like your kingdom, I'd have soldiers and swords and bombs and guns and and we'd go and see who's got the biggest army. But my kingdom is not like that. And by the way, I would just add that when people are fighting, that's not the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, Amen? So Jesus is not the king whenever you have a bunch of people mad at each other, angry at each other, and fighting each other. He's not the king there anyway, by his Holy Spirit. So after the resurrection and the explanations he gives of the kingdom for 40 days, and after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, Peter gets it. Look at Acts 2, how Peter explains the kingdom. This is Acts chapter 2. And starting in verse 29. Here's Peter's view of the kingdom now. Acts 2, 29. Do we have that? Uh, okay, got two, uh, two verses. Let me read uh, Acts 2, 29. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about David that he died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. In other words... We know David talked about the king that would come, but he wasn't talking about himself. He's dead, and there's his burial place right over there in Jerusalem. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, though, David was a prophet, knowing God swore an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Not a literal throne on earth, but God's throne in heaven. The Messiah would rule from heaven. The kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And the Messiah rules from heaven by His Holy Spirit in the earth. It's an invisible and spiritual kingdom. Now, what you have then, starting in verse 7, is, if we could just sum this up, we would say, so they were coming together after his resurrection. They were constantly asking, is, is the meaning, literally the meaning of the verbs, constantly asking 
about the restoration of the kingdom to the people of Israel, to the Jews, that it's a Jewish kingdom. And Jesus is constantly explaining that no, it's going to be a kingdom that will go into all the earth. It's going to be not just confined to Israel. It's going to be a kingdom by the Holy Spirit, not by the sword of the flesh, not by weapons of destruction. It's a different kind of kingdom. So as we prepare for the new year, here's some thoughts that I had for you this morning. I just want to put these out there for you. Starting in verse 7, preparing for the new year, our church, considering how we will set our priorities. Look, start in chapter 1, now in verse 7. He says, verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons the Father is fixed by His own authority. So here is the the first thing. There are some things we're just not supposed to know. You see that in verse 7? He said to them, this is kind of a summary of what He's been teaching. It's not for you to know times and seasons the Father has fixed by His own authority. In other words... We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when the end of the world is coming. It's not for us to know. Now there is passages which speak of the signs of the times. For example, uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, uh, they come out of the temple and uh, the disciples are impressed with the size of the stones and the disciples say to Jesus look how beautiful and huge these stones are and Jesus said to them not one stone will be left standing on top of another one oh that was stunning to the disciples And so they go up on the Mount of Olives and they come to Jesus and they said, When? When will these things be? What things? When the temple is destroyed. And Jesus then begins to give them signs of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And that happened in the first century by the Romans in 70 A.D. Have y'all ever heard of 70 A.D.? (laughs) Don't tell me you have been here for years and have not heard of 70 A.D. 70 A.D. fulfilled those signs. And now, now people take that and say that's signs of the second coming. No, it was the signs of his coming in judgment on Jerusalem. Here in verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know times and seasons the Father's put in his own authority. That's the second coming. The coming and judgment on Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple was, had signs that the disciples could see and understand it's now close. So keep, keep that in mind. And by the way, did you know that the temple has never been rebuilt? For 
since 70 AD, there's been no temple in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, there's a, in 600 AD, they built a Muslim mosque. It's still sitting there, right in the city of, in the center of Jerusalem. But, but there's been no temple. <clears throat> the temple was destroyed. The Jewish religion was dissolved. Old Covenant Judaism was dissolved. You can't have Old Covenant Judaism without a temple because you can't have sacrifices or priesthood. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8, 13. Speaking just before 70 AD, he says, Hebrews 8, 13, when God spoke of the new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. The old covenant age with its temple and law of Moses and its required circumcision of all converts is all passed away. Now there's a new covenant. We're in a new covenant age and, the, and one day the new covenant age will end but there are no signs to the end of the old covenant age. There were signs of the end of the uh, there were signs of the end of the old covenant age, but no signs of the new covenant age. So here Jesus says to the disciples, first of all, know that you don't have the calendar, heaven's calendar. Uh, it's not on your iPad. So just we're going to give you a job to do. You take care of your job and leave the other things to God. That's verse seven. Then in verse eight, he gives another help in as we prepare for the new year and that is we are to rely on the Holy Spirit to bear witness of Christ he says in verse 8 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses we are to rely upon the Holy Spirit for plans for strength, for encouragements as we seek to carry out our task and our assignment in the kingdom. And here's number three. We are to begin locally but expand outwardly. Look at the rest of verse 8. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the uh, New American Standard Version. And the New American Standard Version adds a word that is not in the English Standard. or I, I, don't, I don't know if it's in the King James Version or not. But do you see the word that it adds? You are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. The, the New American Standard Version has a literalness about it that I recommend. It's not easy reading, but it's literal. They go word for word from Greek into English. And they add the one word, both. You see that? You know what that means? That means it's to take place simultaneously. Both in Jerusalem. And I checked this out. Uh that it actually, there's a Greek word in the text, the original Greek text, 
pronounced te, T-E. And it means both or simultaneous. And so that it literally reads, and you shall be my witnesses or witnesses of me, both or simultaneously in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. See, because here's some, sometimes somebody will ask me this question. How, why should we focus on people in other nations when people here in Flint need so much help? Good question. Except that Jesus said to. <laughs> he said, don't neglect either one. Don't just church. Don't just be provincial. That is surrounded on all sides by your own concerns. But look outward. Go start locally. Expand globally. And so he says here, first in Jerusalem. So we have our church on Bristol Road. And then all Judea. That's the county wide. That's why we moved. That's why we took congregation, some people over here, and started a new church over 10 years ago. Because that's part of the commission. And kept the church over there. Don't, don't neglect Jerusalem to go to Judea, but both. Both. I told them we'd have a meeting and they'd say, well, uh, why don't we close this building and start that building? And I said, well, you don't have to kill the mother to have the daughter. Amen? I thought that was cute, but whatever. <laughs> so in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, you know what Samaria was? It was next door to, Jer to Judea, and it was a different culture, a different class, different race. So here in our church, we, we want to reach all cultures, all classes, all races. Hallelujah. Everyone is welcome at New Haven Church, the only true church within the United States. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. So there's our mission. Starting locally, expand globally. And so each month, you know what we do? It's, it's not a lot of money, but we send money every month to our denominational headquarters, which then distributes it around the world. 5,000 missionaries are supported by our denomination around the world. Because Jesus said, end of the earth. Don't neglect ends of the earth. Then, in the last thing I would point out is that one day, this is verses 9 through 11, all will be concluded with the second coming. Look at verse 9. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. He just started uh, ascending, going up. And uh, I probably would be standing there with my mouth open too. Whoa. And as he went up, 
couple of angels appeared. And here's what they said. Uh, Verse 10, While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing and looking into heaven? This Jesus, is see, they were looking at him as if they would never see him again. That's all they've known for three years. And now he's ascending and goes into an invisible realm. This Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner or he will come in the same way as you saw him go. Now I don't understand all the physics of this, but here's the way I would take that. Jesus went up. He's going to come in the same way. When he returns, he's going to come down. As he went up, he was visible till clouds received him out of their sight. When he comes back, he will become visible. We will see him. He he was literal, physically ascending. When he comes back, he will literally, physically, bodily descend. What a day that'll be. But you say, when? (laughs) There is no when. I don't know when and no one else knows when. That's not our question. Our question is, are we receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses, first locally, then expanding outwardly? That is our mission, and that is to be our focus, and that is to be our priority and our passion. But we're to know that one day there will be no more time. Our efforts will be done. And we will see Jesus return. John 9 verse 4, he said, We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. For the night is coming when no one can work. Let's not postpone this. This is our priorities and passions for the new year. Evangelism. The presence and influence of the Holy Spirit. Outreach. Teaching. Discipleship. Prayer meetings. And don't forget our children's building, which, by the way, is going very well. I'm going to give you an announcement here in another couple of weeks. We've, uh, that we've received the $50,000, and we're, we're asking the church to match that, and it's going well. Uh, we'll give you an update in a couple of weeks. But we will serve in the light of eternity, knowing that one day Christ will come, and it will all be over. A song, I think, that accurately reflects these feelings and these teachings. I've asked Bud to come and do. Bud, you come and and Nick, uh, if you'll come and we'll have our offering now.